Welcome to Jawbone with Dr. J and Dr. J. I'm John Monza, Professor of Strategy at the Joint Advanced Warfighting School, and I'm joined by Dr. John Michaelshek, Professor of Theory and History at JAWS. John, today we're going to talk about a controversial subject, and that is the Israeli-Hamas conflict. And I'd like to focus initially on strategy, and perhaps you can jump in with some theory and history as we go through it. But in terms of strategy, there was an interesting article last week in the New York Times that proposed this idea that Hamas had a strategy of disrupting the rapprochement between Israel and Fancy. Uh, Saudi Arabia that, that stems from the Abraham Accords. And if that was indeed their strategy, then they have been quite successful in uh, uniting perhaps the Arab world uh, against Israel. And I, I'm not sure if anybody really knows what the, the strategy was behind Hamas and taking out taking these offensive actions into Israel. But I think the real interesting strategic subject that we see unfolding these days is what is Israel's strategy as they enter Gaza with a military force, with a mission that is certain to be extremely difficult. And I don't know how for Israel, I, I try to imagine myself as a, as a ground commander there, as a former infantry officer. You know, what types of missions are you carrying out as you seek to clear, hold uh, territory in, in uh, U.S. counterinsurgency terms, if that's even their strategy? I'm, I'm unclear as to what, what the Israelis are, are going to try to achieve uh, in the weeks and perhaps uh, months ahead, other than this general idea of, of decapitating Hamas from the leadership uh, in in Palestine in in Gaza. John, what do you see as a as a professor of theory and history? Well, before I get to the history, which we could have an hour long podcast, maybe we will, on the history of this region. But sticking with the strategy, um, I think you're, and it, what comes from a New York Times article. Let me ask, because again, I don't really know if I have an answer. Why does Hamas not want normalization with the Israelis? Well, I think it perhaps, you know, I hate to step into their, their shoes as they've taken these actions since October 7th, but they have stated clearly that they don't want Israel to exist as a nation state. So any kind of normalization of relations between other Arab states and Israel certainly don't lean towards or lead towards a uh, uh, successful elimination of of Israel as a as a nation state. Good. All right. So you're, you're passing your exam so far. Now, as a historian looking at this objectively, uh, we don't have a lot of details. This is all from news, social media, and so that we are now um, Halloween right before November, is the strategy winning? Well, that's a great question because you see in Western nations, including our own, uh, a divide between sympathies for Israel as a nation state and a lot of sympathy for uh, Palestine in particular and the idea of, of independent Palestinian state. So are they achieving that objective uh, in Western countries of 
engendering support for their cause? I, I think in part, yes. But the, the nature of their attacks on, on October 7th uh, really brought a lot of leaders around the world to, to step out in favor of Israel just because of the nature of those attacks, which we all know were, were pretty, pretty horrific. The, the real question, maybe two I would, I would break out, is how long can the support for Israel last? There's an information campaign that they're going to need to win, frankly, to maintain Western, Western support. And then, uh, again, just today I was listening on the news, uh, and I think there's a piece in the Washington Post about this today, about social media and how difficult it is to determine what is the truth. And one of the examples they used was there is a video uh, supposedly of a Hamas fighter in a paraglider hitting some power lines, and, uh, and there's a big explosion, an electrical uh, explosion. But actually, I read today that picture has nothing to do with those Hamas fighters. Yep. It's a uh, paragliding accident from some time in the past. And there are numerous other aspects of uh, disinformation, misinformation, uh, that make it really hard to decipher what is the truth. And I think this is perhaps in, in your world, John, as you talk about new war theory and whatnot, uh, yep. one of the challenges is is for publics to decipher what is the truth. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll glom onto that here in the end, but you mentioned my favorite new war. So where we are at JAWS, we have just wrapped up a series of classes on the Ukraine war, current Ukraine war, and we have focused on some uh, aspects of the Middle East, mainly modern Middle East. So think 1950s, 1960s, and then for Israel, post-47, which I'll get to that first. But as the students, and we had the Marines in here last episode, uh, we are getting ready to start our last block of instruction called New War or the future of war. And new war theory is kind of the entrance into that. And new war theory is the real, real quick version of it is they believe those that subscribe to this, mainly led by Mary Caldor, that war has fundamentally changed since kind of 1945. Um, And when I say change, it's not just the character of war, it's the nature of war that the fundamental nature of why people go to war has changed with the advent of the nuclear bomb uh, and then the breakdown of the Soviet Union, and that future war will be non-state, irregular, hybrid, whatever buzzwords you want to go to. Now, when we look at what's going on in Israel-Hamas, the conflict is not new, as a lot of the newspaper has been going on. What happened on October 7th is just the next chapter. And as we have been looking at You mentioned social media, television, newspapers. That has brought up, and we've been talking about it for a couple weeks now, as we're almost at the month anniversary of this war. What kind of war is this war to you? So I think it it represents a lot of the common characteristics of war. Obviously, surprise continues to be one of the common characteristics of war and Hamas uh, used the element of surprise to to achieve their their initial success uh, it it also demonstrates to me you know the value of asymmetry where you have very high-end Israeli forces you know famously the Iron Dome 
protecting them, uh, protecting the Israeli citizens from from missiles. You have a very high tech air force and a very well trained and high tech ground force. And what Hamas was able to do was to use asymmetric approaches. They used uh, cheap drones to take out some of the the border posts that defended Israeli territory. They were able to use uh, tunnels. They stayed off of the radio and off of cell phones to to communicate their plans. They practiced their plans uh, right in front of the Israelis to the to the point that uh, you know the Israelis stopped believing that that Hamas was was about to attack. So some of these you know fundamental aspects of warfare are unchanged. And while this may be considered kind of a non-state actor, Hamas, they certainly, you know, rule a territory and, and they are considered by many to be the, the government in Gaza. So, you know, are they a state actor or not? I don't know. They have many of the trappings of, of, of a nation state. But what it also shows to me is when you talk about the, the nature of war, you don't know where wars go. And when you know, this all started immediately. There was the concern of a wider war, and you have Hezbollah in southern Lebanon uh, launching missiles into into northern Israel, and there's fear of a wider war with uh, Iran uh, becoming involved or even the United States becoming involved. So those things, again, represent to me sort of the unchanging uh, nature, the unpredictability of war. Yeah, and if you look on, again, all the social media, TV, I think the imagery is influencing people, too. Today I saw a clip of the Israelis bombing a strip of buildings, and then as they watch the explosion, you have big plume clouds come up from the tunnels. I think visually, for those in the public, that's kind of going to be like, oh, that's some. what are they doing? Uh, there's, it's where the tunnels are, and they have to get there deep. That's why the buildings are collapsing. And we were talking with others, you know, what kind of war is this? We have to define what war is. This clearly has all the trappings of a traditional, more conventional war. There's violence. There's enmity. There's hatred. There's cruelty. The character, as much as we have, and this is carried over from Ukraine, focused on drones, robotics, AI, information, it's still going to come down to dudes and dudettes clearing buildings. And I think that's something that gets lost, um, particularly with the new war theory, is that they tend to believe, again, I'm kind of putting words in their mouth, but not entirely, that is, it's going to be a not a gentler kind of war, but a little different, and where the people are going to be a little more hands-off. Uh, but as we've seen in the videos, this is looks very medieval in many ways. Then there's also fancy new drones, the air power we all we all know now the other thing has got me thinking is and we've we're the jaws just got back from its dc trip went to congress went to the pentagon um and as you know the u.s we have finally have a speaker of the house what do you think and john is a strategist what is china what is russia looking at when it comes to israeli hamas war and particularly what are they looking for for us? What's our reaction going to be? What's it going to teach them? Well, I think what they're seeing right off the bat or saw immediately after uh, October 7th is democracies standing together. And we point out uh, all the time that uh, Israel is 
you know, one of the few liberal democracies in that that region, and 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 we stand with them. We stand with them also against uh, terrorism and, and the barbaric acts that took place on October seventh. And it's not just through words. The United States has deployed aircraft carriers. We have forces moving uh, in order to back up those verbal claims of support. I think in any of these conflicts, you know, as they erupt around the world, everyone's looking at the effects of different weapon systems. Um, you mentioned drones, but you know, if we have a, a sidebar on Ukraine, there's a 700-mile-long trench line filled with infantry on each side and a no man's land in between. And there are drones and there's electronic warfare and there's a huge amount of artillery being employed. So it's, it's very traditional warfare that's now amplified uh, the lethality with these, these other weapon systems, uh, drones in particular, not just drones delivering munitions, but drones uh, carrying out reconnaissance. And I see, I see a lot of those same aspects underway in Israel. Now that the Israelis have started this offensive into Gaza, it's infantrymen, it's infantrymen with a huge amount of support by air power and artillery and armor. But in the end, it's still, as you described, John, uh, little teams of, of men and women going into tunnels, going into buildings, carrying out incredibly dangerous work, uh, attempting to clear and hold terrain. Yeah, so not not really new. It's just war. Yeah, I think it, you know, this these conflicts reflect the unchanging nature of war. And there are folks as you described who are constantly looking for some some new twist on warfare and maybe they can write a book about it or an article and 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 uh, be famous for a day or two because they they think that war has changed or they make an argument on it but but this is all still war it's still a, a political objective that's being uh being sought through violent action between armed groups and we started so if hamas had an initial strategy of breaking up this burgeoning relationship between israel and some of the arab nations then perhaps they were successful but as with any strategy, uh, your opponent uh, gets a vote as well. And we'll see how the Israelis uh, apply their strategic thinking to achieve their, their ends. Yeah. Now, and then one thing, and we mentioned, you mentioned social media, and that's where information space, information warfare, social media, not really new. Now, what I have noticed, and you mentioned the hang glider, uh, particularly on Twitter, there is a ton of videos out there. Uh, and this is no different. They did the same with Ukraine, but I think you're seeing it just the rate is is amplifying it, where these videos show explosions, towns getting leveled, and they have nothing to do with the Israel or the Middle East. Some actually are from Syria, but others are just have nothing to do with it. And what this got me thinking about, and you mentioned like it, what disinformation, misinformation, what's that? But I think what this got me thinking about was the 2008 Georgian War with the Russians. And one of the big lessons there, again, this is a five-day war, fairly conventional. Uh, most in the West particularly don't know about it. But it's a good indicator of, I think, how social media is going to be used and leveraged going forward. And one of the big lessons that both the Russians and the Georgians carried away, and I think you're seeing it live in uh, with Israel-Hamas conflict, is 
this notion that getting the information out on social media is more important than if it's true or not and just getting it out and this goes back to again with the advent of television mass media the 50s and 60s you had theorists marshall McLuhan say the medium is the message and i think you're seeing that now it's the medium is social media and because it's on social media it's there important and the truth is kind of irrelevant and i see what it is on uh facebook you see what it is on instagram i know my kids on tiktok who knows what is being said i know that that is where the younger generations are getting a lot of information from. And I think that's something that we as strategist historians need to focus on. Uh, again, not new, but maybe more influential. Well, as I've told you, John, I'm old school. I'm much older than you. Very old. Uh, and that's why I try to, one, throw a broad net when I'm looking at at media reporting. And I still refer back to and rely upon much more traditional news outlets. And here's why. So New York Times last week put out an apology yep. because they had initially reported really from Hamas's perspective that this strike on a hospital was uh, an Israeli airstrike and it, it killed hundreds of people, according to those initial reports. But yes, later, yep. yes, but later, uh, or last week, the, the New York Times said, well, we took that initial information, we didn't dig into it enough, and perhaps it's more likely that this was an errant missile from Hamas that struck that parking lot uh, next to the hospital. And so the fact that, that news organizations like the New York Times are interested in verifying reports that, that you know, they take a step back generally before they put out a story. And then if they are wrong, they go back and correct yeah. it, uh, makes them, in my mind, more legitimate. But all that said, what you point out, especially in, in this era, that the first report, the one that is out on Twitter, the one that, that gets millions and millions of hits, even if it's wildly inaccurate, is probably the one that is story. that is remembered. That becomes the truth. Yeah, and the the hospital one, I think further. I think the initial reports were five hundred, and now I think the latest was fifty, which is still a lot. But now I also know too that hospital incident was then used by many folks, influencers, politicians, as a rallying cry for either side, and then that is where I, your point on tr more traditional information. These folks tend to not correct themselves. It just disappears in the ether. And that's the other thing with social media. You just overwhelm whatever product you're using, and people just forget it. We move on. But the hospital incident is probably the best example in this war. won't be the last. Uh, but I think as the war progresses, you'll see more of this mis-disinformation. Now, last thing I think before we wrap up, this is where you, you'll put on your, your NATO hat. How do you think this conflict ends well that's a tough question you know as the israelis put troops into that northern part of gaza here's my prediction is that many of the hamas fighters simply go to ground they uh, try to blend in with the population most likely in southern gaza and they probably leave some fighters up there some real fanatical fighters uh, to duke it out with the Israelis. The question is, what do the Israelis do? Do they try to hold that terrain? 
Did they try to decapitate the Hamas regime and instill a, a, a new new government in the Gaza Strip? You know, these are questions I, I can't answer right now. But but I think the Israelis will will slug it out uh, in that urban territory, uh, achieve some limited objectives, and then eventually move back into Israeli territory and 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 hold the line. But yeah, and I think. I think we both agree this is not going to end anytime soon. And in some ways, I don't know if it will ever technically end. It will just be another chapter, another conflict. Yeah, but as but, I said, you know, I mean, what what's difficult to predict is where wars go. Yep. And, you know, so a broader conflict is 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 the great danger for, for everyone who's yeah. directly involved or nations that are kind of on the periphery. There's not a lot of empty space in the Mediterranean at the moment. No. So, well, that's a rosy way to end it, but it is. But is I think we, we'll probably come back to this again sometime yep. in the next in the next few weeks. And we we need an update on Ukraine. Another man's amusing episode. Indeed, we do. So, with that, read your closets.